0: Uh, We're going back to Hebrews chapter 4 to do a little business, a little work there. So let's turn our attention to the Word of God.
1: Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Since, therefore, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of morrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Praise be to God. Thank you, Meg. Let's go now to God and uh, beg him to meet us in our time of need. Our great God, you are just that. You are the God that reigns over heaven and earth. You spoke and all things came to be. It is by your word, uh, Jesus himself, that all things are held together. You are the the reality. You are the truth. And there is no truth. There is no reality outside of you, no matter how hard we rage against it, it and you. Father, we thank you, though, that you are also a very personal, loving God. It's the only way we know anything about personable, being personable or being loving is because of you. And so we thank you that you are tending to the wounds of your children this morning. We thank you that you are present among us and you are doing ministry. We thank you that you are the head of this church, and no man. And we thank you, God, that we have hope that is eternal, that can't be shaken by sin or deception. And therefore, it's not a time to fear. It's a time to draw near to the rock that is higher than I. It's time to stand in you and to find rest. So open our hearts and minds, even as we come to your word this morning, God, we need you. We pray for your power, and we do so in Jesus' name. This passage says something very clearly, and that is that God is the source of our rest. He is the only source of our rest. He uses the word rest ten times throughout these thirteen verses. And and he not only does that, but he also hearkens back to Genesis chapter 2, and he brings to mind creation. And in Genesis chapter 2, in the first couple of verses, it tells us that God rested on the seventh day. After he created all things, he rested. And we know it wasn't because he was exhausted. We know it wasn't because he needed a vacation. We know it was only because rest is at the centrality of who he is. And that is why we as his creatures, those made in his image, must know the kind of rest that he is talking about and it's much more than just a day off or a trip to an all-inclusive place in the caribbean Uh, i told the first service don't think don't don't get a word from the lord this morning that uh that god has called you to take an all-inclusive trip to the caribbean out of this sermon all right nothing wrong with that but don't uh don't use me for that kind of stuff all right but what god is calling us to is a rest that transcends circumstances. In other words, you don't have to go somewhere to find it, you just have to enter it. That's what he says, enter my rest. And if we look at it, we need to wrestle with it a little bit and and kind of flesh it out because when I read this passage and I thought about uh, Jesus being our rest, I thought about this woman in India that I saw a couple of years ago. Uh, we were visiting our, our missionaries, the Ingers, and very near their apartment is a woman that's just set up on the side of the road, and there's no booth, there's no tent, it's just, I, I don't, you know, she was sitting on some kind of box, and she had a little fire pit, and I asked, I didn't know what she was burning, but she was burning cow dung that they dry and basically put on the walls, and, and she had an iron. And I don't mean like, a, you know, Electrolux or whatever, you know, I don't know a brand of, uh, of iron, but I'm talking about just a piece of iron with a handle. And she would get the bottom of that piece of flat iron hot and she would, um, uh, she would iron clothes all day long just for pennies. And this is her life. And so me, a, uh, well-to-do, if you will, very resourced, uh, westerner, look at her and I think, do I really have a hope that, that meets her in her time of need? And the answer is absolutely. Because though a better job would change, and though I would hope and pray for financial, uh, for her financial situation to improve, and we as Christians should be working to that end, if that's all we do, we have failed to give that woman the source of genuine and true rest. Because God is the only source of her rest. But the same is true, and I also struggle at times with the whole reality that what about the man who has the private jet? does he need Jesus? Can I tell him that God is better and that he is going to pine away in his private jet traveling around the world, but it's not going to give him the kind of rest that he is desperately longing for and looking for? And the answer is in our passage, and it's a clear and resounding yes. He cannot have life. She cannot have life. It's not in a new job and it's not in a jet plane. It is e-sin for us. So that in Him we might become the very righteousness of God. And now as we enter the rest, resting from our labors, resting from trying to work up something that we can take to God and say, is it good enough? Is it good enough? When we just simply rest from that, take a, a permanent break from that and fall headlong into Jesus we experience a rest that nobody can rob from us. We experience a rest that that calms the anxiety of the soul, that brings us peace in time of trouble. Because we can know for certain, because what Jesus has done, we can know His heart posture toward us, that He is a God that will never leave nor forsake us. And the reality that we don't deserve it is the very thing that is to soften our hearts toward Him. You see, Jesus is the end of our search for identity. He is also, with Him, there's no need to go looking for love. Jesus is presented in the Scriptures as the bridegroom. If you love weddings, you love eternity. <laughs> If you love weddings, you, you love the reality of, of the gospel because God shows us in Revelation 21 how it all ends, and it all ends in a wedding. And we are the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom, and the rest of eternity is just the wedding feast. I mean, that's Christianity. There, there's no other hope like it. I mean, Jesus said that. He said, hey, you're not going to taste this wine again till you drink it anew in the kingdom. We are going to have a wedding feast for eternity with our, our, our groom, Jesus Christ. Dear friends, you don't have to look for love. He's also rest from your need to find purpose. What is the meaning of Everything. If you watch the news, if you study history, if you watch most movies today, it's just tragic endings. (laughs) What is it all? I mean, that's what the philosophers have asked through the ages and answered in different ways. But without God, there really is no reason to have hope. Without God, there really is no purpose. And so just go use people. Just do the best you can. Eat, drink, and because tomorrow you die. I mean, do you see that? Do you see that, that there is purpose in the Christian hope because we are children not working for the Father's love, but we are children who have the security of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that now we can be in the Father's garden, we can be in His world, and we can be doing our work for His glory. And it's not about how much money I, I can make. That Our, our bank account does not define our purpose our achievements don't define our purpose you may have walked a stage recently to graduate but guess what now you got to go to work <laughs> you may have just gotten a new job but guess what now you got to prove yourself and keep that job you just had the most stellar sell year of in, in your life well guess what you got to do better next week. do you see it that's not purpose purpose is living under the care of a father who is the God of the universe, and he has personally designated his sights on you to be his adopted son and daughter. And he paid the price, and the price was the blood of his own son. So that now you can, you, this life, this world, yes, there are struggles, yes, there are trials, but guess what? God is my father, and nothing can separate me from his love. And everything I do is for his glory. And there is deep purpose. But friends, there's a warning in our passage this morning that not everyone among us will enter his rest. Not everyone among us will enter his rest. Listen to verses 1b through 3. Let us fear. Isn't that a great way to start? Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. There's nothing worse than failing to reach the free invitation to rest in Christ. There's nothing worse than to say no to that. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he said, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Who are the ones that will not enter His rest? It is the ones that are in the church, that are doing all the right things, that appear to be part of the body. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Israel, to Jews, and, and they were very driven by customs and feast and ceremony. And so these are people that are part of the camp. They are obeying the laws, the external laws, but inwardly their hearts are hard to the God of the feast. And what they are really longing for is something better and something different. And this is why the writer of Hebrews is putting this stern warning down. And Jesus did the same thing in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, listen to me, friends, on that day, many... Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons? Outward things. And do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What keeps us? from being members of the the community of God's children is a hard heart. An unwillingness to believe the realities of the gospel, that there is nothing I can do for myself. Jesus has done it all for me. We get a warning also with Jesus because one of the twelve was a traitor and a betrayer. His name was Judas. I want you to think about that for a minute. I want that to sink in, that Jesus, in, during his uh, three years of public ministry, had a betrayer among him. That's crazy. That's insane. He looked like the rest of them. And we see that. How do we see that? Because at the Last Supper, you know, Jesus says, hey, one of you dudes is going to betray me. And they're like, woohoo! who? So they got the next guy that dips his bread into the... And Judas does it, and they're like, well, okay, well, he he did not really mean betrayal. He's got to mean that, you know, he's got to mean something else. Because not Judas. I mean, he's one of us. I mean, there's no difference between Judas and us. Is that not frightening? And so why would God allow one of the twelve apostles to be a betrayer? I think there are two things. One thing is we need to be warned by that, which we're going to get to in just a second. But the other thing is to make abundantly clear to us as the church today that the church of Jesus Christ does not depend upon leaders. It depends upon the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That it's not on our shoulders. That He employs us and we have responsibilities and those responsibilities are high, but nobody's going to kill the church. (laughs) Why? Why? Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Will the gates of hell rage against it? Yes. Will there be attempts? Absolutely. Will it appear bleak at times? Yes. But nothing budges Jesus on his throne because he lived and he died and he rose and he ascended. And Hebrews tells us that he sat down at the right hand of God and he said, hey, it's done. It's over. And so we have confidence, ultimately, in the Jesus that leads the church because it's His. And then lastly, those who don't enter, they don't enter because they have hardened hearts. Jesus launches His church in the midst of public scandal. They think that it's over. Uh, and, and Jesus is crucified. He's betrayed by Judas. He's, he's tried, crucified. He dies. He rises. He's around for several days and then he leaves. And all he does is he says, go to Jerusalem and pray. He doesn't say, go to Jerusalem, get in a room and get the whiteboard out and start strategizing. He he doesn't say, go to Jerusalem and, and hire a strategic planner. and All he says is, guys, I know you're scared to death, so go to Jerusalem and get on your knees and wait. And dear friends, that's the church. That's the church. Because he is a God, as we saw in weeks past, that hears the cries of his children. Uh, He is a God who has sent the helper and He is the paraclete. And the paraclete's job is to hear the cries of the children. You see, the biggest temptation in the midst of scandal in the church is not so much the scandal that happened, but the ripple effects that comes out that, that gets to the hearts of the rest of those around because what typically happens in the church when we, we have a big scandal is we start getting hardened and we say, I'm not going to trust the church. I'm not going to trust, you know, I'm just, I'm done, I'm done. And in and, and our hearts, we start pulling in. But, but I want you to hear me that Christianity works just the opposite. Because in, in uh, the same chapter that says um, that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven in the preceding verses... In verses 1 through 5, we read these words. Judge not that you be not judged. You see what Jesus is doing before he gets to the fact that, yeah, there are people among you that are not one of you. He says, but take care of you. Judge not lest you be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce on others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And here we have the rage of the grace of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is for sinners only. Jesus is not for the good. Jesus is for sinners. And here is the, the reality of that is, is there discipline? Yes. Is all of that. It's truth. But it's also grace. And so in the midst of our truth, we have to take the very um, truth of the gospel deep into our own hearts, lest we become a victim lest we become more hardened than the person who has betrayed us. How can we do that? How can we do that? Have you ever really been betrayed? If you think you can do that on your own, you've never really been betrayed. If you've been betrayed, dear friends, listen to these words. Let us therefore enter that rest, the last verses, verses 11 through 13. Let us therefore enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God. Isn't that crazy? One of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible is never put in this context. Why do we need the word of God? Because our hearts are wretched and we want to be hardened in our heart toward others because of what they did to us. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. And what the scriptures are telling us is this, is that we will be betrayed and we will be betrayed by those that are our friends. And so where we must run is not to self-righteousness. Where we must run is to the very word of God. Because the person that needs the most help in your life right now is not necessarily the one that betrayed you, but it's you. Because now you have come under the temptation to have a hard heart. And so we need the, the scalpel in the hands of the Holy Spirit to get into our heart to begin, begin dissecting all the, all the hard stuff that starts forming, all the callousness that begins to form in our hearts. And so do you understand now why you don't need to read the Word of God so that you can look good or win a uh, Bible memory game? But you need the Word of God in order for your heart not to be hardened against Jesus. You see, the way that a Christian reads the Word of God, it's different than the way that the university reads it. The, the university puts it under the microscope, but the Christian allows the Word to put them under the microscope. You see, the, the Bible is to read us. We aren't just to read the Bible. The Bible is, is not a message for your wife or your husband or your children or your parents or your neighbor, but the Bible is a message to you and to me. And the only way that our hearts are going to be pliable, the only way that we are going to be humble and, and, and crying out to God and dependent and loving our neighbor and living a life that's not about us, but about the world is if our hearts are being made soft toward Jesus through the enduring and constant mining of the Word of God as it convicts us of sin and drives us to the hope of Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, I ask you this morning, where's your heart? And do you understand that you really can't even answer that question. Go to God's Word and let it answer it for you. Because it's never perfectly good. <laughs> but it's always perfectly Hopeful. The best news we can hear is specifically how we are sinful in this moment. Because then Jesus becomes someone you need and you have the present value of His blood and you run to it. And that's my hope this morning. It's my hope in the coming days that we would run to the Word and we would allow it to read us. And we would be the people of God and the church of God. That the world might know that there's hope in the midst of deep sin, public sin, and deep betrayal. Lord God, we thank you for your mercy. God, I disagree with my brother Derek who said he's the biggest sinner in this room because I know that that one and it's me. And so God, I pray that you would continue to work in my heart God, I pray that you'll continue to make me pliable to your spirit. That I would not depend on my training and all the sermons that I've written. That I would not depend upon the theological knowledge that I've acquired over many years of ministry. But I pray that I would remember that my biggest job is just to simply come to you like a child. who wants to play in the presence of his father who trusts his daddy more than anything and who lives out of his daddy's resources and not his own. So I come and I pray that you'll work that in me and you'll work that in us, that we might even have joy in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. And God, I thank you that you reign on your throne and nobody's pushing you off. And I thank you that we can trust you. Father, I pray that you'll just use the gifts that we bring now. We're not paying for anything. We're simply responding to Your grace. Hope that it helps somebody else. And hope that Your kingdom is extended. Take these gifts, of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.